Hi, KGF Church family. Pastor Garth here. Just want to talk to you about a couple of things today. Uh, the first is that we have some new members coming into our fellowship, and that is exciting. Uh, starting last week in the newsletter and in the next few newsletters, you'll see more of those testimonies, even a couple of videos that uh, people were brave enough to share. So you'll be able to get to, in a way, meet uh, these new members and get to know them a little bit. If you would like to encourage them, uh, would you please send a note to office at kgfchurch.com identifying who it is you want the note uh, sent to, and we'll pass on that note of welcome from you. Uh, we can't do it live like we used to and going up to the front of the church and welcoming them in, them in but uh, we can send them notes, and so let us encourage one another that way. Uh, secondly, every Sunday after the live stream service, uh, we are hosting a hub group that meets via Zoom, an online platform that we can um, connect with and talk about the message that was uh, given on any given Sunday, pray with one another, and encourage one another. So anybody that would like to, it's open to anyone, feel free to join us every Sunday right after the live stream service. My last word to you today is who we, you and I, are going to reach out to today to encourage and connect with. And uh, I pray that uh, the message uh, and the worship today is an encouragement to you. And remember, all, us pastors are always available uh, when you need us. Give us a phone call, an email, a text. All of our pastoral uh, emails are our name, Phil, Garth, Levi, Joel at kgfchurch.com. And uh, you can reach out to us and, and uh, as much as we can, we want to be there for you. Oh, to be like you. Do you know those words that were just sung? Oh, to be like you. What does that mean right now? We recognize that we live and join God's purposes in the world on the traditional homeland of the Silix peoples. You know, we're always participants in a human story that has preceded us and we're responsible for this moment so that those who come after us have a more just, God-glorifying world to steward until Jesus Christ, our Lord, comes again. What does it look right now to be like him? We're living in times of immense upheaval. You know this. You're feeling it. My deepening conviction with each passing week and with each headline, for goodness sake, is that there is no government, no human leader that can organize us out of this mess. And the world is weary. Oh, to be like you. Oh, to be like Jesus. There is a desperate need for the church to be the church right now, to be the body of Christ. To be the church right now, oh, to be like you, when so much is not what it was. And this is going to require that we learn, my friends, the power of prayer. KGF, let us be the church. Enough talking or complaining or hand-wringing or anxiety. It's time to be the church in desperate and expectant prayer. Philippians chapter 4. 
verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Did you catch that? But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is a high call. In prayer, we call on God to do what we're powerless to do. We call on God to do what the world is powerless to do right now. And the time has come for us to have desperate prayer. We prayed together earlier, but kids, grandparents, and everyone in between, it is time to be the church for our world. Are you ready to pray? There are situations, powers, neighbors, friends, loved ones, your household, your enemy, the person you're at opposition with, a brother and sister in Christ who you see something different, uh, see things different than. It's time to be in prayer. It is time to be the church. So would you pause right now and just hold your hands open wherever you are. Kids, come on. Adults, let's just posture ourselves and let's pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, you rule the world with grace and truth. You've acted in Christ to restore all things to yourself, to reconcile the world to yourself. Lord, this world's hurting. We're hurting. We have friends and loved ones who are hurting. People are frustrated, lashing out, anxious and fearful. Powers are at work that we're powerless against. We need you. This world needs you. God, we pray you would forgive us. We're in pride or self-righteousness where we've lashed out in anger or disrespect and dishonor where we haven't loved as you have loved. Oh God, forgive, heal, restore, and show us how to be the church. Lord, in Acts, when the church faced challenges, they didn't bemoan it. They said, why do the nations rage? So Lord, would you stretch out, we pray with them in Acts chapter four, would you uh, give us boldness to proclaim the goodness of Jesus regardless of the cost? And would you give us the power that comes from your spirit? Stretch out your hand and do wonders and signs. Reach into the isolated homes that people are living in and reveal yourself, oh God. Bring parties together that are at disputes and odds with one another. Bring hope where there is hopelessness. Bring surety where there is uncertainty. Bring steadiness where people are waffling and failing and falling. Oh God, you love so deeply. Help us to be the church. Awaken us to be a praying people. We need you now. Oh, to be like you. This is our prayer, that we may be for your glory in this world. Our Father in heaven,
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, Lord. Deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's time to be the church, a praying church for a world out of control. Would you turn your attention to Alyssa Quigley as she reads for us from John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have a bath need only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is who I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Well, kids, before we get started, I have a question for you. How's your seed growing? Did you plant a seed last week? Our family did. We tried to plant a cherry seed. We're going to see what happens. We'd love to grow a cherry tree. We'll see what happens in the midst of winter when we're planting seeds because a seed has to go into the ground just like we need to die to ourselves, to follow after Jesus, to thrive and not just survive in these days. Um, this week, kids... Listen up, here's what I want you to do. Hopefully you have a piece of paper and a pencil. Actually, maybe many pieces of paper, depending who you're all with. We're going to talk about this in just a second. But um, here's what I'd love for you to do. I'd love for you to go around and trace the feet of the people you're with. Trace your own foot, trace the big people's feet. But here's the trick. Try to get them to actually take off their shoes. Okay? 
get them to take off their shoes. There you go. There goes that one. And not only that, but let's make it even a little bit more uh, wonderful, or you might think a little bit more gross. And let's like, let's get them to actually take their socks right off. And then you can trace their foot onto those papers. So get everybody in your household, just, just trace everybody's foot as a picture of what we're talking about today. Here's the question we're headed toward for us to discuss and live in together. Where should I be practicing the humility of Jesus these days? Where should I be practicing the humility of Jesus these days? That's a big and necessary question. All right, many of you seen the show, The Undercover Boss? Ah, it follows the basic premise of a, of a company CEO who becomes a regular worker for a while to learn about what it's like to work for the business that they oversee. And the workers, they don't know the big boss when they come among them. And in there, there's one episode where Amit Kleinberger, who is the CEO of the yogurt franchise Menchie's, where he's the undercover boss. You like Menchie's? Yeah, good yogurt. Add all kinds of stuff on it to kind of wreck the yogurt, but make it better. You know, all at the same time. It's kind of strange. Um, he visits a young woman who was supposed to train him. He comes in as if he's just a regular worker learning the job. She's supposed to train him, but she cut corners. She didn't care about her work. She had a rotten attitude about the company. And then he visits a dairy farmer who is a young father, sacrificially giving his time to provide milk for the yogurt. And then he works with another, a really amazing young woman whose cheery attitude and her hard work, it's actually super inspiring. And yet, as we get to know her story, behind all of that, she's facing great family challenges and her dream of going to college seemed impossible. And at the end of the show, of course, as with every episode of Undercover Boss, there's this great reveal. The workers meet the boss and they're shocked. Oh, I didn't know that was you, right? And in this case, the grumpy worker is a little afraid of what is to come. And I don't want to ruin the end of it for you because it's worth actually watching this one. You can just Google Undercover Boss Menchies. It's worth the watch. But it's very moving. In fact, uh, Kleinberger's response might just make you want to work for Menchies. It's really quite good, but because what he does is quite phenomenal. But the point is this. The, if the boss did something for you that blew you away, wouldn't that strengthen your resolve? If the boss did something for you that blew you away, wouldn't that strengthen your resolve? As we continue our New Year's feast to strengthen our souls for this world out of control, we need to grasp a divine reality. God came down. He is the ultimate undercover boss. All through scripture, holy God demonstrates that he will come down. Our first hint of this is in the Garden of Eden. The Lord desires to walk with woman and man when humanity seeks a name for themselves at Babel in Genesis chapter 11, God comes down. God comes down to Abraham. God comes down to bless Jacob. God comes down to rescue the descendants of Jacob from their bondage in Egypt. This sets a trajectory and becomes the hope that the Jews will speak to the world. God will come down. He will visit 
and dwell with us. In a world out of control, there will be the dwelling Messiah. This is the hope which Daniel spoke while serving the king of Babylon, when it all seemed out of control for the exiled Jews and kings and empires were going mad. I'm glad that's over with, right? Well, it's happening still. Listen to the vision that Daniel proclaims in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. The words are going to come up here. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. And he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. God would come down. One, one would come and his kingdom will never be destroyed. This is the type of boss that would really strengthen us, would fulfill our hopes and dreams, isn't it? Scripture speaks of one high and above us who is seated in the top floor corner office and he thinks of us. Scripture speaks of this, but are you wondering that these days? Are you wondering if he's thinking about us? Listen to Psalm 8, and maybe you want to read along with us. Just slow down. Let's all read this together. Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe, and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them? The majestic one, he thinks of us with mercy and compassion, with an eye toward justice and what is right. Surely in this world, out of control, this will require a show of nuclear might, huh? Now you can understand why the Jews, so often oppressed by the might of the world, expected a Messiah who would ride in with power and might and trample the foes, right? That makes sense. If the Lord thought of them, thought of all of us and our troubles, he would surely come in with might and majesty, No. But scripture also reveals a surprising nuance of the God who comes down. Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The Messiah king will come down, but he will come lowly and humble. Now, keep in mind, all these promises from the Old Testament of a king did not come to a people in control of their world. Everything was out of control most of the time for the Jews. Daniel was a foreigner serving a pagan king. Zechariah was a prophet during the time when the Jews were seeking to rebuild the ruins of the world they once cherished. For Israel, the world was often out of control. 
filled with obstacles and opposition, rife with the desire just to give up hope. But hope and expectation remained. The majestic one would come down. But would we understand his ways? Will we understand what this means for thriving and not just surviving right now? This is a towel. Thanks, Alyssa, for reading for us. John chapter 13. This is a towel. Basin. One of the most profound symbols right there. One of the most came with all authority and power whose dominion would never end. John 13 was read for us earlier. Did you absorb it? I mean, did you really absorb it? There is so much going on in the background of John chapter 13. The Old Testament promises of a Messiah uh, who would come down and be for all people. There's the awareness of Jesus in verse 1 that his hour had come. The key moment of God coming down to earth was upon us. The awareness that the love of God was driving all this forward and that Jesus would love to the end. It says in verse 1, he, would, he loved them to the end. The awareness that evil was at work. This last supper of Jesus with his disciples was marked by the devil's prompting of Judas in verse 2. One of Jesus' closest companions is prompted by the devil to a work of wickedness and evil, betrayal. Jesus' own awareness that all things, this is a phenomenal statement in verse 3, that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things into his hands, everything, all possibilities, all avenues for God's revealing of himself were in his hands. In this moment, Jesus has everything at his he is the majestic sovereign one with dominion as Daniel had promised God come down and with all this he gets up from the meal and rather than put on royal robes or put on a suit of power or even plaid or donning a general's uniform he strips down in Undercover Boss, Amit Kleinberger puts on the neon green uniform of the Menchi employee. But Jesus strips down even lower than that. He goes as low as can be imagined in the social order of the day. He takes the form of a servant who would wash the grime and the mess of the world off your feet. He is not your co-worker. The great king comes as your most humble servant. The one you might not even acknowledge as you continue your conversations with your co-workers. Let me ask you a question. Where you go to school or where you work or the building that you frequent from time to time, do you know the name of the person who cleans the toilets? Do you see them? Have you thanked them? This is the one that Jesus, Son of God and Son of Man, becomes. We can hardly grasp 
how stunningly radical this is. Even the disciples in the room, they can't grasp what is happening. In fact, Peter can't even receive it. In verses six to nine, he's like, Lord, no way, no way. You will not do this to me. Now, why? Why does Peter say that? Is it because Peter thinks that he's better than this? No, actually. It's because he believes Jesus is better than this. It's because he accepted that Jesus is the Messiah. God come down. But this is not what God would do. Is it? Peter needs to repent, to change his mind, and to receive that this is precisely who God is and what God does in a world out of control. This is the crucial thought of these days in pandemic, in a culture awash in self. You see, we, in the culture that we now have been a part of for many years, we were born into it, we swim in it, we're not even aware of how much this is the water we swim in. We expect to be served, don't we? If service is poor, what do we do? We complain. Peter pushes back because he didn't think he should be served by Jesus. And one of the greatest obstacles to the strength of our souls these days is that this has been so reversed, actually. We expect to be served. And this expectation puts expectations on ourselves and others that no one can bear. And that causes great anxiety and disappointment and anger and lovelessness and division. My waiter is to serve me. My teacher is to serve me. My parents are to serve me. My government is to serve me. My church is to serve me. Even I must serve me. And this cultural undercurrent, this ripping tide, which we are all shaped by, is more powerful than we imagine. And it is it's destroying us. It's, it's chipping away at our souls, our relationships, our society, our peace. A greater awakening, you see, is needed for us than for Peter. A greater awakening is needed for us. Because Peter needed to repent and receive what Jesus was doing. But we need to repent and see ourselves rightly to accurately assess what we really need to find strength for our souls. What we need is to understand what Jesus has done to us. And this is what Jesus asks. After he had washed all his disciples' feet. Can you imagine that scene? Jesus is washing all of his disciples' feet, including Judas, who will betray him. He upends everything that would have been assumed about the Messiah, and then he asks this question in verse 12. Do you understand what I have done to you? Now pause. Just like, like look at the question. Do you understand what I've done to you? Don't rush past this question. God came down and he went lower than low. He will go lower still because he's going to go to the grave and to hell itself for us. But do you understand 
that you need to be a receiver, a recipient of his true service? Do you understand that strength for your soul will be found as you humble yourself to receive his humility? You must, you see, take off your shoes, expose your chipped toenails, your corn and your fungi. I don't think I have any fungi. He must, he must, kids, Jesus must trace the mess of our ugly feet with his hands. And you must really let him hold your filth in his hands. If he doesn't, we have no part with him. If we don't allow Jesus to do this, we actually prove we are seeking strength somewhere else, not in his identity as God with us in this way, but in our ideas of power and position, in our demands to be served our way. We want to posture and to pose. We are even happy for God to do something for us. But Jesus' question, <laughs> did you catch it? is whether the disciples understand what he has done to them. He does not overpower. He comes down, he stoops down. God serves. Now listen, the nature of God-likeness, godliness, is revealed. Do I understand what he has done to me? Stoops low. He has, he has to. He has to if he is to rescue me from myself and from this world out of control. Do I understand the humility I must humbly receive? Do I understand that the way to the blessed life, the life that doesn't just survive but thrives, comes this way? Jesus' question right here is crucial, for it reveals God's intended purpose in coming in the first place. Verse 14 and 15. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Again, Seriously, really pause here. What is he saying? He's saying that we are called to do as he has done. Think it through. Just as God himself, the great king with authority over all, came and stooped low, so we are to practice God-likeness. We don't receive the full authority of the love of God to feel better about ourselves or the service we've received. We are to live in the world the way God has in Christ. Do you see? We are to receive God's humility so that we become his humility in the world. This is how our master and our Lord acts. If this is who God himself is, then how can we do or be anything else?
The essence of discipleship, you see, my friends, is miraculous. A sheep becomes the shepherd. We move from demanding service to those demanding to serve. This is God-likeness. This is Christ-likeness. This is spirit-filledness. This is to feast with the king in the first supper of the new heaven and the new earth. This is to be a new creation. This, says Jesus, is strength for your soul. Now, how is this strength for our souls? John 13, verse 17, look what Jesus says. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Blessed are you. Blessed are you if you do them. Do you understand what I have done to you? If you know, if you know what I have done to you, then blessed are you if you do them. The Greek word here actually means happy. It's the same word as in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek and blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. All those blessed, blessed, blessed in Matthew chapter 5. It's the same word. It actually means happy and to be envied. It means to become large. Full and happy is the life who receives the God who comes down and stoops low and who embraces doing as he does. Blessed is the one. And so we come to it, don't we? We come to this. Jesus describes a thriving life completely opposite of what we think. The full life is in receiving the humility of God and becoming the humility of God in the world. Strength for your soul comes at this king's feast. Where the king rises and empties himself of position, stoops lower than low, this is what true power and authority in the kingdom of heaven looks like. This is what, is, this is what the strong soul is. This is true life. So let's get real. Let's get real. Come along with me. Listen. In the midst of a pandemic... We can scream for better service or we can see the opportunity for God-likeness to radically embrace the identity and the ways of our great king. This is the way of Jesus in a world out of control. This radical way of upending even our own fears, anxieties, and even our own demands is not by getting our way. It is about receiving his way. During Christmas break, our family had a bit of a grumpy day. Maybe yours did too. I don't know. Hobbled up altogether. It was a day with a lot of bickering going on. My wife, Jen, had prepared some gift bags for a few people that we thought could use some encouragement uh, in our community. And so we forced, yes, we the parents, forced the whole family to ride along and go sing Christmas carols from a distance for people and leave them a little package on the steps. Small act of stooping low like Jesus might, and it, and it took some convincing. But do you know what happened? Jen and I debriefed this after. It was really fascinating. We saw joy in other people's faces. That was one thing. But upon returning home, 
the tensions and the grumpiness of our home changed. There was playfulness and creativity and singing, and there was peace. I'd call it blessedness. Blessed are you if you understand and do what I have done to you. And here's where the rubber meets the road. Can you let God take your ugliness into his hands? Can you receive the humility of God? If you can't, why not? What's blocking your soul? Can you believe this is his way in the world? And if not, if you can't believe that his way is this, then whose way are you following? Can you take up the towel? Can you take it up? Can you, can you do a small thing greatly? After all, it's all we can really do right now. But for the love of God, we should not be paralyzed as those who know this great thing about our great God. We should be making his way, we should be making his way known in this demanding world that is sucking the life out of so many. His way is fragrance and the work of heaven. This kingdom come. Listen, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Believer in the Lord Jesus, you are a daughter and a son of the Most High God, and we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We have a crown and an authority that can never be taken away. The gates of hell will never overcome the advance of Jesus' church. We are to be in the power of the Spirit who God has revealed Himself to be. Can you do a small thing greatly? Can you wash the feet of your household? Maybe you actually need to do that today. Would you have the courage to do it? Would you have the courage to receive it? Can you serve your neighbor? Can you serve our society? Not by demanding your rights, but by taking up the towel. Can you serve your enemy? or your critic, or your betrayer? Can you be like your master? Can you be the undercover boss? This is the way to the blessed, happy, enviable, thriving life. The blessedness Christians are called to. If not in a time like this, my friends, then when? Seriously, when? When? If not in the small places of influence that you have, then where? Where? Where else are you going to do it? It's time to receive the humility of God in order to become the humility of God. This is blessedness. This is true transforming power, a power this world is dying to see and understand what has been done to them. Otherwise, I fear that we're missing the point, destroying our souls, and even worse, 
we don't really know Jesus, we will not make him known. So would you pause with me? Maybe some of you are actually sitting there right now with bare feet because some kid just traced it and now you got markers all over it. But Can you picture Jesus taking your feet in his hands? Like, would you let him do it? And would this not strengthen your resolve? It should. Would it not strengthen your soul? Say, if the king of glory, through the scandal of grace, would come and do this, then by the power of the spirit, I will do this too. Lord Jesus, I confess I, I have so much growing to do. I, 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 don't, I don't know you well enough yet. I want to know you better, Lord. We, we want to be like you. We collectively, as the body of Christ in this world, in this moment, owe to be like you. This is what it means to be like you. Forgive us if we've made it something else. And Lord, release the power and blessedness of humility into our world through the people of God. We humble ourselves for your purposes that true might and blessedness might come. Strength for our souls, strength for others, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, friends, thanks for tracking along. Kids, thanks for tracing along. Now maybe put some of those feet up around your house as a reminder to everyone that we're letting Jesus take our feet so that we can be his humility in the world. Here's the question. Where should I be practicing the humility of Jesus these days? Hmm? Where should I be practicing the humility of Jesus these days? Talk about it with somebody. If you're in a virtual hub, have a conversation. Our hub will be doing that shortly. Maybe you just need to call somebody up. Maybe text somebody. Just don't walk this alone. Reach out to somebody. Engage this so that we step into the humility of Jesus together for his glory and for the good of this world. May the Lord bless and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace.